Welcome to the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. This season, we're focusing on what nonprofit leadership looks like in this next normal. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode, you'll get to join me in conversation with some of my friends and peers in the Canadian nonprofit space who are changemakers and groundbreakers across Canada and beyond. Let's jump in. Mark Peterson, Nate Peterson, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, Mark, you and I have had the privilege, or I've had the privilege of working with you a few years ago, or I guess it was more than a few years ago now, before before you made the transition to where you are now. So we're going to talk maybe a little bit about that. And Nate, you are brand new to me. I'm so excited to meet you and hear your heart and what you're doing as you work alongside Mark, who you just happen to be related to. So your last name is not incidental. Uh, so or a package deal. So if you could, and Nate, I'll ask you to start, but if you could tell us who you are, what you do and why you love what you do, um, that'd be a great way to start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so together we're, we're stronger philanthropy. We are a company that kind of, it, we have an interesting history in that it wasn't really an intentional business that, that Mark was starting at the beginning in, in the 2008, financial crisis. Mark had been working for a foundation for uh, 20 years or so. And in that uh, financial crisis, there was a program that came out of that um, was an initiative for a group of foundations to work together to overcome the financial crisis. And that was called Stronger Together. Now, Mark started managing that group and their their giving together. Uh, It was a collaborative granting experience. And out of Stronger Together came this concept of stronger philanthropy. So that was 10 years ago. Stronger Together ran for that long and Stronger Philanthropy kind of emerged as a firm out of that. So I only came on two years ago uh, to Stronger Philanthropy and, and my background was in international studies and in I, I, I traveled extensively um, seeing community leaders around the world and coming back home to to work with, with Mark was kind of the, it came full circle. And so I'm, I love what I do because like your podcast says, it's a, it, I feel like a change maker when I'm, when I'm doing this work. Um, I think that the, we'll, we'll get into more of what we do later, but, but the, the importance of due diligence when working with charities has, has kind of become a, a, a huge passion of mine. Oh, that's good. That's really good. And maybe not what people would expect because you, I mean, like, let's put some stereotypes right out there. I'm assuming you're a millennial and they're like, what do you mean due diligence? Millennials care about due diligence. So thank you. That's a great topic for us to talk you, about. We do care. We should. We should care more. Should. Excellent. <laughs> Mark. Yeah. Well, Nate and I go back a long way, as you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and, and so in a sense, Nate has been journeying with me through through many years of, of my career uh, observing and, and often involved in, in what I do. So for um, since 2000, I, I ran Bridgeway Foundation, which was a, a, a private family foundation um, based in Ontario. And like he said, around 2008, nine, uh, we created this initiative called Stronger Together, which was Bridgeway plus other foundations working together in collaboration. And this, this stronger together uh, approach allowed major donors to collaborate together and collectively fund projects that pushed for innovation uh, within the charitable sector in Canada. 
And so we did that for, for 10 years. And as Nate mentioned, in the midst of this in the past four years now, we've created, uh, I left Bridgeway Foundation to create this firm, Stronger Philanthropy, which it, while, I, while I ran Bridgeway in the past, now they're a client of mine. So this was an interesting mm-hmm. kind of evolution in, in things. Um, Bridgeway restructured itself and the restructuring and the creation of other foundations out of it uh, created an opportunity where with stronger philanthropy, we could, we could work together with these foundations that had been created. And so, so Bridgeway plus the other foundations that were created became clients of mine. And, and additionally, there are other clients outside of our family as well. So, so that's what stronger philanthropy is. We had to go through a real shift in orientation for, for who we are and what we do. In the past at Bridgeway, my, my clients were really, um, or the people that I served were really the charities. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we wanted the charities to be uh, well-funded through this uh, private family foundation. And now since uh, Stronger Philanthropy has emerged, I'm realizing and recognizing that my clients are now these families. Um, it's not the charities. Those are the beneficiaries of our work, but my clients are actually now these family foundations um, who we're trying to serve. And so it was a real pivot in terms of who, who are we actually serving and mm-hmm. who the market, you know? Mm-hmm. And I assume that you're actually kind of serving both because you have a vested interest in this sector being strong. That's right. Yeah. And so you kind of have to have, you know, two hats on all the time. You're, you're looking at both. both yeah. ends. And why do you love what you do? Because to stay in it, I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. So yeah. why do you do, why do you do it? Well, interestingly, I mean, maybe this is one of the questions further on that you're going to ask, but I mean, everything has been impacted by COVID, right? And mm-hmm. and this pandemic. And I, I'm, as you ask that question, I'm thinking in the worst days of the lockdown, you know, <laughs> which why do I do this? <laughs> yeah. I almost experienced that moment, I think. Yeah. Where, where I was going, wow, why am I doing this? You know, yeah. do I really need to be doing this? And yeah. And so being in the midst of that pandemic, you kind of evaluate everything in your life. Mm-hmm. One of the, I think, positive things of the pandemic was it really forces everybody to kind of grapple with what's good in your life. You know, what's your mm-hmm. calling, what's your vocation? And, and in my case, you know, I came to understand I was really ready for a change. And that's okay. And I, I'm at a stage of life, 56 now. Today's my birthday. <laughs> yes, happy birthday, Mark. You mentioned that earlier on yeah. Facebook. How, how lucky am I that I get to do this with on your birthday? <laughs> but, um, you know, recognizing that in the last 10 years of my career, you know, from, let's say from 56 to 65, I want it to be about succession. I want it to be about... Mm-hmm strategically empowering my next generation to succeed in, in life. And, and that's why Nate is coming along at this point in time. And, mm-hmm. you know, rather than hold on to the bitter end and not, not empower next generations in leadership, I'm all about, you know, creating a platform for Nate to shine. And, mm-hmm. and that's what gives me joy right now mm-hmm. is to see him positioned for success and and service and what he's he's doing that's so good and he's going to be way better at it than me (laughs) 
and that's our hope, right? That like, and I, I don't know if you heard any of the first season, but in one of the episodes I talked about, like succession planning actually should be what we're always thinking about. Like Nate, you should be thinking about succession planning now. I'm thinking, okay, the people I invest in today are the people who actually mean that this work continues in ways that are relevant for whatever should come. And so, I mean, I'm just, I'm, my birthday is coming, (laughs) but you know, I'm mid forties. And so, but I'm thinking succession too. Like what if, what if God tells me to leave what I'm doing right now, who will do it? And so how do we do that? And so that's part of being free to do what you're supposed to do. Right. I'm, I'm a bit passionate about this too. (laughs) So Nate, any pressure on you? I mean, because your dad even started with a family foundation, which I believe even as a grandkid in the family foundation, you were probably involved since you were a kid. So is there pressure on you, um, to to do this so well? I, I mean, through, through the years, like you said, I've been involved with this for uh, 14 years now um, in some capacity or another. And so there is pressure to do well. I, I put that pressure on myself. I don't feel it too much from, from Mark. And I think it's more of a pressure to fix some of the glaring issues in, in Canadian philanthropy and in, in the charitable sector. Um, it's not always the most efficient ecosystem of, of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of work. And I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about taking this on as a lifelong project in terms of really making a difference with um, the quality of, of uh, charitable giving that, um, you know, the, the concept of giving money is, is far mm-hmm. different than the concept of philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's a lot of pressure there, but it's good pressure. It's like, it's like a challenge. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty so excited. So good. So I, two things came out of what you just said. And so I want to, I know we can only ask one question at a time, but I want to park this. So you mentioned some glaring errors in the sector. So I'm going to park that one because I really want to hear that from you. And the other is, okay, what is the difference between giving and philanthropy? Because Mm -hmm. philanthropy is in your name. What is the difference? Because organizations are chasing a donor, but let's talk about philanthropy. What's the difference? Yeah, from from our end, I, I see a, a, a huge difference between donating money and philanthropy. I see when when you're walking down Young Street in Toronto and you see someone who's homeless and they're requesting help, and you might put a toonie or a twenty dollar bill, even if you're generous, in, mm-hmm. a, in a coffee cup, you know, and and that is. A generous act it's a selfless you know gift but you're not asking for any accountability from that gentleman you know like you're you're not looking um and, and you know that it's really your donation is really going to help him for that day but it's it's not a long-term kind of solution mm-hmm. um philanthropy is the opportunity for those who have more resources at their at their at hand to to be strategic about their donating and to make it to be responsible actually with mm. the act of donating so there, there's something about philanthropy that that makes it it's more than just a donation where you don't expect anything else you know you're making a difference you know you're helping for that moment in time philanthropy is perhaps more long-term more strategic it's an investment really into changing something and and that's that's what i would say would be the difference 
Um, I agree that 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 concept of an, of an investment I think is really important. That you know when when somebody has a startup and they're they're looking for investors, they they go out and and pitch an idea, and they really have to get somebody people to rally around their their idea. And I think with with major donors, they're they're they've been part of that business world a lot of the time, and that that that, that concept of of investment resonates with them, and that storytelling and that kind of trying to get people to rally around your idea. And I think that it's important because if the idea is not formulated in in a coherent way, then it really shows a, a a lack of planning. And and when we're talking about you know ten thousand, twenty thousand, or top two hundred thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars in terms, you, you want to hear a plan and you want to feel like you're getting a return on your investment. But I think in the world of philanthropy, it's a we flip the the capitalistic narrative on its head and instead of it being a return on investment financially it's a return on investment socially mm-hmm. um, so you really have to be convincing people that your the, the return on investment is there and excite them about about mm-hmm. why they should be involved mm-hmm. so just this week uh we've actually been working with a nonprofit. um here in Canada. And we try to, so just in case you don't know, we work a lot on brand with organizations and try to help them become clear. And one of the questions that we ask is really to get them to define who their donors are and um, and then even who the next generation of donors are. Because the question I get asked over and over and over is, how do we get young people to give? Because we realize that boomers, this is the end. But in my mind, it's that how do we build philanthropy as a mindset and build something that younger people want to invest in, whether they have money or time right now, how do we do that? So maybe, so what would you say? I mean, so we had this big conversation about actually transaction versus transformation and how do we demonstrate transformation rather than transaction? And so, um, so just with that in mind, now, how would you answer the question? Because I get asked it, I have no idea. And you probably do too. How do I get young people to give? Is that the right question even to be asking? I love that you said that money or time, because both mm-hmm. of those things are equally as important in in this sector. Um, in terms of giving, you can you can give both of those and make a world of difference with with either of those two things or both of them. And and so I think that in terms of getting young people to give, I think older generations had a had a narrative that 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 tied in with tithing. Their religious uh, beliefs gave way to a. a mentality of giving. Now, we, we've seen quite the mass exodus from the church in the past 10, 15 years uh, from young people. And it, and what worries me is that, that that narrative of giving might, it might be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But I think that in our age of social justice and this this yearning for a better world, I think that people have the capacity to imagine how their time and money can actually be put to good use. Um, I just think it's about framing that that conversation in the right way because I don't think it's a far leap from from people's desires and and we just really have to be encouraging people to act on their, those desires beyond the beyond liking something on Facebook and beyond sharing something or even you know god forbid leaving your house and doing something you know mm-hmm. <laughs> right now it's tricky let's be honest yeah yeah I guess right now there's <laughs> we should have some have some grace yeah. but there are other things like we t- you know we even talked about 
when you have a young person, and I say young, and I mean like 35 and under, <laughs> um, but who is willing to do things like advocate and crowdfund. And, you know, there are different things or different ways to look about this. So I think this is part of the shift from giving to philanthropy. How do I invest my time and energy and money and talents, all of those things. So Mark, what would you say? You've seen lots of shifts over the years too. I think it's important, I think for any any charity to be thinking about generational shifts that are happening and and to creating spaces within their organizations for millennials and Gen Z to to be a part of their mission. And when you're I mean my my focus is really on major donors and and fam, family foundations and so I think that charities have an opportunity to create spaces for next generations mm-hmm. with family foundations to to participate with the organization in their life. It's an opportunity for transformation because it's a more, it's much more than a transactional type of Mm -hmm. model where you're getting someone just to write a check. You're actually inviting them into, you know, strategy meetings, um, brainstorming Mm -hmm. times together or um, going on trips where, where they have opportunities to participate and observe and, and influence what's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, the organization yeah so I think it's it's a neat opportunity and and it's a long-term game it's not something you know I think everybody wants a, a quick fix and quick solution uh, but this mm-hmm. is thinking and planning generationally and over a long term for participation by by family foundations in organizational life and you specifically are focused on innovation um, and how organizations are innovating in this time. <laughs> um, and, and I think part of what I'm hearing you say is that charities don't have to do this alone if they have a good foundation partner as well. I, I heard one example and I thought this is actually, and maybe you would agree or disagree, so feel free to say that, but that uh, a lot of organizations in the past have looked at their donors as their army doing, you know, to, to just do the, get the work done. But what they really need to look at is that their donors are the general and that they are the army that the, the donors are saying, okay, I want to impact this. And so I'm going to partner with this organization or this organization. And I wonder if there's, this is kind of flipping it of saying you could actually have a partnership that means that you don't have to come up with all the ideas on your own. Is that right? Or yeah, and I think I, I think you need to be careful. I would encourage you know major donors to use discernment in how they interact with charities. You don't want them coming in and mandating things. No, no. And some people do 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 that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard a lot of complaints about it. <laughs> uh, but but I would I would prefer to see it more of a, as a collaborative model. You know, mm-hmm. conversation um, when. I always have this kind of mental image of how when you're creating your plan, let's, let's say whatever your mission is as an organization, if it's feeding hungry people or, or whatever, and everybody is gathered around that. So if you're, if you have an accountant working for the firm, working for the charity, or if you have the frontline worker, all of them are committed to the actual act of, of helping people out. But together around that table, if we're setting a table of mission and you've got all your stakeholders there, we always have to remember to bring in the funders to participate around that table. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, they're not just 
there to um, finance things. They, they want to be involved in, in helping to shape the, the future as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, and so I have even heard just even in the last few weeks, people say, so, okay, we want to do this innovative thing, which actually may not be super innovative in the grand scheme of things, but for a small charity is actually pretty innovative and gaining clear, like gaining clarity can be innovation in a small charity. And so their question was, how do we get a grant for something like this? Because we don't have capacity for it, but we also don't have a future. So what would you say to them? Yeah, I, I always defined innovation. And I think perhaps if anything, it was possibly misunderstood uh, by people on first glance. When I use that term innovation, it, it's more around the idea of what's innovative for you. as mm. an So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not necessarily anticipating, you know, curing cancer, for example, or, you yes. know, <laughs> yeah. we um, and the clients that we have, we're kind of looking for opportunities to help an organization kind of get out of its rut or, mm. or out of its kind of defined space. This is, I think, how major donors can, um, how they operate differently than the uh, constituency of the organization. That, mm-hmm. that, so you have, you have in, in any charity, you'll have committed donors, you know, people that, that are consistent and reliable in their giving. Uh, the grants that we're involved in are kind of different than that because we're, we're, we're seeing these grants as they're large enough to actually affect change to help an organization get out of its standard mm-hmm. operating mode mm-hmm. and to try something new to to pilot some kind of initiative to to keep uh, the organization growing and healthy you need change too so mm-hmm. so it's like into that as opposed to just the ongoing everyday uh, reality both both types of funding are needed um, mm-hmm chose to land on the side of, of funding into innovation for these organizations. So important because that actually is for the health of the sector, which means that the global impact, it's really a, um, a waterfall <laughs> where you help the organization be healthy. And then actually it has an enormous global impact uh, when you're able to do that. So speaking to that, Nate, you mentioned some kind of blind spots or I've, I don't. I forget what the exact phrase that you use. You can reiterate yourself. So, what do you see as some of these blind spots or areas that you wish organizations would ask for help with? When I when I think of the the landscape of Canadian charity charities, we're we're we we've operated in a reactive model for decades. Um, in the in the states, yeah. uh, just as a comparison, because the states has has kind of more of a backbone of innovation. Um, as in, in terms of startup culture and and really pushing the envelope on on new ideas, uh, I think that, that the charitable sector in the states has a, a different relationship with its major donors because they don't have as much uh, government involvement in the sector. Uh, I think that there's kind of a it's commonly understood down there that the the major donors are the only ones that are going to do this, mm. uh, or in terms of funding. In Canada, there's a little bit more of a reliance on the government, which you know, everyone will have their own opinion about, but I think that what it, one one effect is that it's it's created a culture of of reactivity instead of proactivity. And so I I, I would love it if if the charitable sector saw itself as separate from the governmental sector and separate from the private sector. We talk about the third sector uh, as being this uh, entity in and of itself, 
but really in Canada, the lines are quite blurry between both of those three or all three of those sectors. And I think that there's there's a lot of power in storytelling. And I think that when we tell ourselves a story that is reliant on on uh, on other industries that that aren't necessarily related, I, I just see uh, a need for more clarity, more more transparency between stakeholders. But it's not it's not too far from a reality. I think it's it, it really is a, a quite a small leap from from where we're at. And I think all all it's going to take is a little bit of storytelling. Are you a nonprofit leader passionate about your organization's mission, but unsure how to communicate it effectively? Do you wish your communications budget went further, that your development and communications teams worked better together, or that you had a stronger plan to find new supporters? At Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good, we get it. With you in mind, we've custom built solutions for nonprofit organizations to make your message have more impact, reach further, and connect with the right people for years to come. Schedule your free consultation by emailing solutions at grafmartin.com. Again, that's solutions at grafmartin.com. The other thing that I see you modeling and as something that I have seen we really need, and I talked to Sean Plummer in uh, Food for the Hungry in this season, and we talked about collaboration. We actually have Alice and Allie, Michael Messenger talking together. We're interviewing them together because collaboration is key and you're modeling that. So how do you, how do you wish organizations would collaborate or what are you seeing as optimal collaborations? I know I didn't prep you for this, but I'm, we're just going there. Collaboration. I, I, I mean, there's so many different ways that people can, can collaborate. And I think that, I think that it's about building community first of all and 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 i mean that in the most authentic sense of the word like this sector is everyone's trying to get by and do their their own their own little piece of the puzzle but i think to recognize that we're that we're all kind of tr- shooting for the same the same goal just to mm-hmm. just build a better framework for canadian society uh we're we're trying to lift people up that would otherwise not be lifted up um we're trying to bring in people that have been marginalized back into the uh, fabric of, of our society. And, and I think in order to do that, collaboration isn't just essential. It's, it's kind of the point, you know, whether it's the beginning, middle or end, I see collaboration as, as being woven throughout this whole story. Yeah. I, I think all that I'm really saying is, is that we're, we're about building community um, mm-hmm. and building good relationships. And I think, I think the other, one of the other thoughts I would have on that is, if you're wanting to collaborate, look for someone who's not like you, you know, try mm. to, you know, rather than, than having two people who are offering the very same qualities or experience or, or ideas, don't be threatened by people who are different than you and invite them into the uh, conversation, you know, mm-hmm. if, like, so I think it's, it actually will strengthen all of us if we can include, you know, as partners, organizations that might not be like us. Do you see um, do you see an expectation because you serve a, a collaborative group of family foundations and these yeah. are clients? Do they expect collaboration and do they find it? <laughs> we're actually <laughs> we're ending that program this. Uh, okay, okay. One of one of your uh, questions that I was preparing for today was around COVID. You know what? Yeah. What not, what are you not doing as a result of the pandemic? So what happened during COVID was a real analysis of, you know, okay, what, what's going on here and what are we doing? 
and I think for us, the, the life cycle of Stronger Together has ended. Mm-hmm. We did it for 10 years. Uh, we did this collaboration together with other foundations and, and we've all learned a lot through it. I think I see how, you know, over the period, I think there were 18 different foundations that participated at one time or another in the Stronger Together mm-hmm. group. And, and the typical pattern, I think, was foundations would join up with our initiative. They'd learn some best practices in philanthropy. They'd be inspired. They'd perhaps take some of the tools that, that we used together to help them in their family philanthropy going forward. Mm-hmm. It was a collaborative uh, learning experience where they had an opportunity to benefit from it. And then, and then they, it empowered them so that they carried on on their own. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would also say that the group did become a community and ev- everyone that has been a part of that group, I think had, has felt that in some form or another, but as, as it's ending, I still feel very much connected to, to a lot of the, a lot of the mm. foundations that were a part of that. Mm. I think the sense of community building was foundational there. Yeah. Foundational. <laughs> Sorry, that, as soon as I heard that, I was like, ah, no pun intended, I guess. Well, and what I hear you saying is that collaboration is, um, is critical for learning together because I think some of us are afraid to collaborate because we're afraid we're going to get stuck with someone. (laughs) That's okay. Just to be really blunt, we're going to get stuck with someone working with someone for a long time that we don't like. And that it just, it ends badly. A lot of us are, I think just really afraid of it ending badly, but changing the expectation to be, how can we be a community that learns from each other? Um, Is that what you found? And, and good boundaries, you know, in those relationships and, and, you know, touch points through the process of, okay, is this working for you? Let's evaluate yeah, a chance, you know, graceful exit strategy moments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. time to time as mm-hmm. opportunities, um, just to keep the relationships healthy, I think mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. And everybody's always committed to the current round, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thing that you're working on together. Mm-hmm. I think that with, with, with collaboration and, and innovation with both of those things that you're not basing it off of, of, off of a model that already exists. And I think that the, the human element, the dynamic nuances of, of, of mm-hmm. human relationships are always going to play a, play a role. And, and so it's not really a one, there's not really going to ever be a one size fits all solution, mm-hmm. um, which I, I hear it, a lot of questions regarding these, these, these concepts um, asking for a one size fits all solution. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like saying, like, what's the best way of dating? There's, <laughs> yes. There's, not, there's yes. not really the best way of dating. Where you, yes. you know, you, you go on a date and you see if you click, and and then you keep going, uh, or not. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or not, and that's okay. And that's totally that's okay. okay. Yeah. Sometimes weird, but it's also okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awkwardness isn't the worst thing in the world. So, okay, Mark, one of the questions I did prepare you for, because I was like, I got to go there. So when I moved back to Canada 16 years ago, I started hearing about this Bridgeway Foundation when I was talking to charities. And okay, I say this with all respect, because I get called the book girl, which drives me insane. But you've been kind of the money guy for Christian charities in Canada. So I'm sure you love that, because that's all... That's your whole identity. But what would you say as kind of the money guy, what would you say to charities this year as they are 
trying to, because everybody's pivoting. We've kind of moved to a three-month strategic plan rather than a five-year strategic plan because everything keeps changing. So what would you say to them as they're trying to figure out financially what happens next? I would say that, I mean, whatever strategic plan you've developed is, you know, now toast, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so, and, and I think that any moving forward, I mean, each, each charity must determine how it's going to respond in this new environment that we live in. You know, the, the pandemic has impacted everybody so tremendously. I, you know, some charities have had to shut down what they do because mm-hmm. uh, you can't gather or, you know, whatever. I, I think, you know, donors definitely understand that, that, that this has been the reality. And, and so, you know, I, I think that the people are reasonable, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think that unless you're communicating how, how we're going to respond to this reality going forward, um, a major donor will want to know how you're responding and and what you're learning through this. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. I, I I see where we're going as you know. Major donors will will want to be involved in helping invest into whatever new landscape is happening for that charity. So you know, prepare your your thinking around around you know how am I communicating to these major donors of mine you know, where we are going into this new Mm -hmm. uh, reality. Mm -hmm. Um, It's an opportunity actually, I think for major donors to really get excited about being involved in the new Mm -hmm. reality for for that organization. The other thing about it is, you know, it's a really refining moment, like a refiner's fire type of thing. Yes, (laughs) it is, it is. It's burned up, you know. And purified. We Nate and I have been grappling with that even this summer as we're we're doing our own str- strategic planning for our, our firm. We're we're dropping some things. You know, we're we're letting go of certain things like stronger together, which mm-hmm. now ended. Different things that we have been doing in the past, we're we're not doing into the future because mm-hmm. our landscape has changed, and we've had to shuffle and make significant changes even within our organization. Mm-hmm. It's the next normal. I keep calling it not the new normal. It's the next normal. So is there anything that you've started doing that you want to carry forward into this new season? And maybe that is just being willing to say things. It's okay for things to get burned up. (laughs) It's okay to end things. It is okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I, what I feel personally that I've started doing through this is, is really intentionally investing in this next generation. Mm. I, I said earlier how, you know, I kind of woke up one morning during this pandemic thinking, okay, I can really get excited about investing in my son, mm-hmm. his uh, future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm living for right now. Mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> A lot of excitement and, and I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Nate, how do we invest in the next generation? So if you've got leaders that are kind of your dad's age and they're wondering, how do we, I mean, they, I see people just kind of stretched as it is. So how do they invest in the next generation even when they're stretched in this season? I mean, Mark, Mark's ability to invest in me has been a gift that I will never be able to repay. And, you know, there's certainly a whole complex that comes along with with being a next gen um person in this in this role uh but i think that the idea of mentorship 
quality mentorship, I think for for my generation is that's going to be an invaluable experience for for I think both both parties. Well, I find it invaluable for myself, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 in in way either. <laughs> The, the the relationships that I've been able to make with with even Mark's peers, for example, have have given me the confidence to to uh, start doing this work. Um, and to I've, I've heard the term imposter syndrome a lot lately, mm-hmm. and I was yes. actually just reading someone about it last night that that I don't like the idea of it being a syndrome. I think that you know when you have big shoes to fill, there's uh, you're gonna you're gonna feel uncomfortable, and that's not a syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's as a reality that you just have to navigate your way through. Um, and so in terms of, of succession and uh, mentorship, I, I think that that's the relationship between millennials and Gen X and boomers needs to needs to heal. Um, I think that there's there's a lot that my generation needs to learn from, especially from boomers. Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the different the different ways that we see the world, I don't think that they qualify the the amount of bad communication that has has existed between those generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the the solution to that is mentorship, um, mm-hmm. and is is intentionally setting aside time in your in your monthly schedule to 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 spend time with somebody that's older, uh, maybe has been through the ringer a couple times, and has you know has some stories to tell. And I think mm-hmm. that that kind of relationship is fun. Like it it when you like look at for any like millennials out there, look at your grandparents and look at their friends and try and try and find um, people that you admire and respect. I, I think that there's the the breakdown in communication generationally has has had a lot to do with respect. And I think that it's it's time for the younger generation to quit complaining about about the ways that they perceive the world to be messed up by by older generations and start to acknowledge the ways that it's been built by those older generations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder if a gift of this COVID season, which hopefully is just a season, let's just pray that, right? Um, but that the, the the idea of imposter syndrome is all of us figured out that we don't know what we're doing when it comes to this. Not Our government doesn't know. Our, I mean, they. I talked to our local MP and he said, we have never moved so fast. Like usually to move a bill through and to get it all prepared, it's years, not two months or six weeks or something. And so I think, I wonder if for all of us in leadership, we've all figured out that the dirty secret was that none of us actually knew what we were doing and we're all figuring out and doing the best we can with what we've got. And so maybe we actually need each other more than we thought. I think that there's there's something there with like the, in, in the COVID era, I think for, for at least for myself, I've, I've really felt this. It's been a time to consolidate the things that really matter to you and like your deep mm-hmm. friendships and your and your family relationships and and your values and kind of kind of figuring out what's what's really important and what's real and mm-hmm. and the rest of it can kind of slip away mm-hmm. well and t- i heard i had one leader on the podcast who said i you know i was scared who talked about uh covid and said i was scared and i think all of us that's a little bit of we're we don't know we're a little bit fearful of what's to come because it's un it's unknown which is a great opportunity to innovate a great opportunity to be more essential um and one just for you guys one of the most encouraging things that i have heard recently is that the trend especially with faith-based charities is that giving is up and has stayed up. They've expected this giant trough, 
but um and i think nate you mentioned this this idea of this faith and not throwing out our baby with the bathwater, and this idea around giving as a virtue um but that giving is up in the faith-based charity sector and it's encouraging encouraging for people like you too Absolutely. We, we, we've talked about the difference between monthly donors and, and major donors, uh, that these are really two different fundraising yes, yeah. uh, uh, avenues, and that there should be strategies developed specifically for each. And I think that right now with, with monthly donors up, really what it's showing is that we have the ability to create a new stable environment, or maybe restabilize mm-hmm. our, our mm-hmm. charitable environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then with in terms of, of major donors, uh, there's good news as well. And that is that... Um, we're about to experience the largest wealth transfer in human history. And from the boomer generation to the millennial generation, um, there's a lot of foundations being set up right now. Mm. And, and foundations exist. Essentially, once a foundation is created, that money is already dedicated to charitable giving. You can't really liquidate that foundation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that money is, is, is charity dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so, and 90% of, of foundations, family foundations are set up to exist in perpetuity which mm-hmm. means that they're giving out of the uh, return on their on their investments. And they're able to, in theory, give for forever. Uh, but the more of these foundations that pop up across across Canada, the more major donors there's, there's going to be. Mm. And not major donors that will come and then go, but major donors that hopefully, with good relationships, mm-hmm. will stay. Mm-hmm. This is why it's so important for uh, family foundations to think now about, you know, transition. Mm-hmm succession mm-hmm. preparing next generation mm-hmm. uh, for leadership because they will have actually significant influence on the decisions where these dollars go um, and 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 they need to own the vision themselves each generation needs to own the vision mm-hmm. for the this mm-hmm. principle of money that mm-hmm. is, is there uh, and and have their own kind of um, vision for what this could be Mm -hmm. used. So do you have to be, here's a question. I don't know the answer to, do you have to be be enormously wealthy to start a family foundation? Like, is this for billionaires or is this, who is this for? Who starts a family foundation? Well, most of the, I mean, your next door neighbor starts a foundation, you know, and maybe this is an exaggeration or, you know, wishful thinking, (laughs) but but a lot of people that start foundations, um, they're not multi-millionaires, perhaps, you know. Um, they they are people that have had some success entrepreneurial, perhaps, and and they're choosing to to it's a lifestyle choice of you know priorities mm-hmm. where am I putting my wealth? You know, I'll, there are some I think this is true actually within what we would consider Christian philanthropy is the people that start foundations rather than, I mean, there are definitely Christians that do spend money on yachts and, and, you know, properties all over the world, you know, the stereotype of what we would have in a a wealthy person. But there are many people who are like the next door neighbor. They might have had that wealth, but they put, choose to put it all in the foundation, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, into luxury items for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one's faith does modify and temper <laughs> those mm-hmm. which are egregious and, dare I say, sinful. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone has to judge themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and you have to 
uh, be comfortable with the choices mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. before God, really. But mm-hmm. yeah. so one, good. One thing that that um, when that next door neighbor might set up a foundation with the intention to give this money away, I think that the the picture in a lot of people's heads is that giving money away is is quite simple, and that there's you know you just give it to a great charity. And unfortunately, because of a lot of factors, you know, you have maybe family dynamics are really can be, get really messy in terms of where money goes and or, or, you know, governmental oversight might might put restrictions around who you can give to and, and when and how. And then there might there, there's lots of other factors that, mm-hmm. that make, make this giving complicated, one of which might be um, I think this this is often the biggest shock to people is the, the number of asks that they receive every day from charities that are doing great work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is, this is really where we come in is, is to say, it's okay to say no to people. Um, if you've already decided on what mm-hmm. your, on what your agenda is, if the, if a, if an organization comes up to you and asks for a grant uh, and they don't fit your priorities um, it's actually better for the whole sector if you if you really pinpoint what you're about and and you move forward in a clear and transparent manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think professionalizing a foundation is the step that people don't don't anticipate when they set up a foundation. Mm-hmm. Right. They often set up their foundation as a tax strategy and an act of faith for those that have faith, you know, and but but they have not necessarily thought through the implications of mm then having this foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, how am I going to uh, make these decisions? What kind mm-hmm. of problem? Mm-hmm. Who's eligible for mm-hmm. these grants? Because everybody's going to get found out once you set a foundation, once you set up your foundation, you're in the database of, of everybody who's fundraising. Um, and you can't escape, you know, this mm-hmm. it rather than just acting passively and, and, passive aggressively actually <laughs> mm-hmm. in some way and sometimes my my suggestion would be you know come and and create a proactive approach mm. how you're going to interact with organizations so good so so okay just to wrap up Nate is there anything that you would like to say to your peers um, you kind of said it, like you need to be willing to listen and be mentored and all of those things. But is there anything else that you would like to say, especially around philanthropy or giving or anything you want to say to your peers as they are in this season? I think that we have we have a ton of work to do. Um, that's really the the crux of what what I'm about right now uh, both personally and and collectively with my with my generation uh, I think that this time we've seen we've seen a, a big shift in in how uh, we're going to re- relate to each other uh, and our government and our and and the marginalized in our society uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to rethink um, our capacity for work you know we're, we're in a time the internet age has, with the instant gratification and all of all of these things, uh, it's really changed how we perceive work. Um, and so, in terms of uh, in terms of helping the charitable sector be a stable and efficient system, um, I think that that really it's about getting our hands dirty uh, 
and getting and volunteering. If you have time, mm-hmm. volunteer. Uh, organizations need your need your help, and we're and and if you've got the resources to give, um, I personally, I'm 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 always up for a conversation. Uh, and so and so I think the, and for me personally, like I learn the best through conversation and through dialogue and 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 debate. Uh, and so I think that it's it's time for us to to start taking that seriously. Um, and I'm excited because I I think that where there's a great need, there's also room for great success. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're 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 capable. Well, I'm grateful for thoughtful people like you, Nate, because I know that um, your peers are also grappling with everything that's happened around we. Um, this year and this being jaded. So I'm very grateful that you have chosen to be in this sector. Yeah, thank you. I, and just to touch on Weave just for a second, because it did totally rock our world. Um, yeah. Like in terms of public trust in the, in the sector, like the whole Canadian sector of charity, of Canadian charity has been rocked by, by that reality. Um, but what I want to highlight about that, that issue is the need for due diligence. And the need for for um, you know charities aren't necessarily going to be it's it, it's a bad assumption to assume that charities are going to be ethical. Um, not all charities are ethical, and I think that for if if somebody is is giving major donations, um, they have a responsibility to their donations to to do due diligence on on where that money is going and how it's being used. Um, so, which is just to say. I think that the We Charity scandal will have created a more robust charitable sector just because it was such a failure. Mm-hmm. Well, and Mark, was this when you were basically like, what am I doing? Why <laughs> is this when you had your moment of why am I still doing this? Because your job is more necessary than ever now, um, but more complex. So what would what would you say to your peers in, in this landscape right now? Um, my peers being other philanthropists other philanthropists yeah i think you know i i would jump on the uh, on the comment about we charity too like i think our contacts right now tells us we do need to do due diligence and a stronger philanthropy we've created tools and and systems that uh have given us competency in that and we're we're making those available to other mm-hmm. major um all you have to do is ask we'd be happy mm-hmm do the due diligence for them and share share our learnings with them on specific grants that they might be making mm-hmm. uh, or uh, any way we can serve them with our with our background the due diligence it, it's not just it's not just about going to a website and checking out oh you know does this look rosy and you know mm-hmm. fresh and all that so as much as I love brand Ellen <laughs> and I know <laughs> that's your expertise um, you know, it's not just about the spin or about yeah. the marketing. Um, we want to, you know, our, when, when you do due diligence, you have to kind of dig deep, examine financial statements, um, meet with people face-to-face, mm-hmm. possible or virtually if not, um, and, and just kind of do a deep, deep dive on, on the charity health. Um, mm-hmm. We do that not to, you know, judge whether an organization is, you know, an A-plus organization or a C plus organization, but because often we will make uh, grants to organizations that aren't the healthiest out there. Mm-hmm. It's so that when we do make the grant, we know, we know kind of the reality of the organization. We know their 
uh, thing, the skeletons in the closet, perhaps, um, the issues that are being dealt with. Uh, and we want to be part of that solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Well, and you will be glad to hear, I think, that as part of our brand process, um, we or I frequently say, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> to organizations. So I, they actually have to write brand proofs. So if they say that they're the reason why they're awesome and they serve this area the best is because they do these things, I say, okay, now prove it. Do you actually do the things you say that you're the best at? And Brilliant. if not, how do we fill the gap? <laughs> so I was thinking about that the other day. I, I watched CNN and it goes, CNN, the most trusted name in news. And then I thought, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> And you can hear, hear my voice in the back saying, prove it, <laughs> so, prove it. This is so good. So if anyone wants to know more about you and what you do, how do they find you? Yeah, strongerphilanthropy.ca. <laughs> strongerphilanthropy.ca, strongerphilanthropy.ca. That's perfect. <laughs> um, easy. I'm so glad that we got to spend this time together. Thank you. I know that it will be helpful. Um, for leaders, charity leaders, uh, philanthropists who are listening, business leaders who might even consider setting up a foundation. So really grateful for your time. I've written a book called Love Giving Well. Yes. Philanthropy as Pilgrimage. So um, that's available through our website or Amazon as well, if, if people are interested in, in knowing. And we will make sure that there are there's a link in our show notes to where that people can find your book um, online. So, so good to have you with us. I'm sure this is not our last conversation. Let's have one again soon. Yes. Great to chat, Ella. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Integrated Marketing Solutions for Good. Graf Martin is Canada's leading integrated marketing and communications agency for nonprofit organizations seeking to do more good. If you need an agile, full service marketing agency to move your organization forward, we get it. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more and schedule your free consultation so that you can do more good.